Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. We're in this series called Who Is He to You? Who is He to Me? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? And we talked last week the difference between Lord and Savior, and there is a difference, and that when you become saved, He is your Savior, but not necessarily your Lord. Lordship is a complete relinquishing of every part of our life to Him. And so uh, in this uh, message today, I want to look at First, who is Mary? You know, who is Mary? Because Jesus came from Mary. And if you look at Mary, you know, here's, you know, you could say, who's the most famous uh, mother in the world? And you could think of a lot of really important moms, like, you know, uh, thank God for the mom of Albert Einstein, you know, theory of relativity. Thank God for the mother of Thomas Edison, you know, electricity. Thank God for uh, Louis Pasteur, you know, all of these different uh, amazing people who made these amazing discoveries. Thank God for the mother of Mother Teresa, who was this uh, amazing uh, nun who went throughout the world spreading the love of God and humanitarian uh, aid to people. So there are a lot of famous moms in the world, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, like who was she? First of all, she's the mother of Jesus. She's the one who wiped his hiney when he had a soiled diaper. We don't think about Jesus like that, do we? We think about him as the guy on the cross. We think about him as the miracle worker. But Jesus was just this sniveling little, you know, runny nose kid or whatever. He, he you know, he, he teethed just like the rest of us. He, he was a child. And so she was the one who got up with him in the middle of the night. She was the one who, uh, when he fell down and uh, bumped his knee or head and bled, you know, he was natural at the same time that he was supernatural. So he bled just like we did. He cried just like we did. There was a time where he didn't know who he was. He, you know, he, as, a, as a two-year-old, he didn't know he was the son of God. At three years old, he didn't know. There was a, there was a coming of age, a revelation of who he was that came. But he was just a little kid, and she was the one who took care of him every step of the way. She was also pregnant before marriage. Now, in our culture today, that's not a big deal. You know, we've devolved to that place where that's not a very big deal in today's uh, culture, at least in American culture. But it still is in some places of getting it, you know, the cart before the horse kind of thing. In Eastern culture, though, it was so serious that you could actually drag the pregnant lady out and stone her to death. That's how uh, uh, disastrous that was for somebody to become pregnant before marriage. So here we have the mother of Jesus is pregnant before She's married to Joseph. So she already has a little bit, of, well, not a little bit, but a lot of stigma. So much so that Joseph wasn't going to marry her. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm not up for this life. I'm not up for this shame. Everybody's going to know that ain't my kid. 
And I'm not going to, you know, risk being stoned myself for letting them think I got her pregnant when I didn't. So, you know, there's a lot going on right here. Don't you believe that God has a funny sense of humor when it comes to stuff like this? But Mary, she's also a single mom. We don't really think of Mary very often as a single mom, but Mary was a single mom. Now, we don't hear a lot about Joseph. Well, we really don't hear anything about Joseph, to my knowledge, after uh, Jesus being uh, lost in the caravan. You know, he's off teaching in the temple. They think he's lost, and, you know, he's where he wants to be, where he's supposed to be. That's truly around the time frame that he becomes to realize that he's not just an ordinary kid, but there is a mission a commission of divinity on his life. And so after that, we really don't hear a lot about Joseph. So uh, theologians are assuming that he's dead after, you know, sometime shortly after that, which literally could be up to about 18 years of Jesus' life that he lived without a father. And Mary could have been a single mother almost up until 18 years of age. The scripture doesn't mention uh, his parents passing, so we really don't know fully. But for a lot of years, Mary's a single mom to Jesus and his siblings. So, you know, all of the weight is there. And so Jesus really stayed at home until he was in, you know, 30-ish. I'm telling you, I don't want my kid at home while you're 30. You know, I love you, but get out of my house. Get a job. Go live your own life. But he was there, and what he was doing is he was taking care of his family. So this is the dynamic that you have. Jesus was a good son. Jesus was a good son. I was talking to my mother-in-law on the way to church this morning, and I said, the last thing that I said to her was, you are a good mother, but you are also a wonderful daughter. Like you're an amazing daughter because of how you care for your mother. Jesus was a wonderful son, how he cared for his mother. Even on the cross, Jesus, he's looking there and he says to John, and he said, John, behold thy mother. Woman, behold thy son. What he was basically saying to John in that moment is like, dude, I'm dying. I ain't going to be here. And I need you to look after my mama. I've done it for these past decade plus, but I need somebody to look after my mama. If you think about it, Mary could have possibly been only in her early 50s. Like if she had become pregnant as early as like 14 or whatever, uh, which was not uncommon during that time, she, she literally could have been a, a, a woman of like maybe uh, Shay's age. So got a lot of life left. And he's saying, I'm leaving, I'm about to die, and they don't know it yet, but I'm going to be resurrected, but I can't be here because I've got another assignment in heaven. I have to go prepare a place. So I need somebody to look after my mom. And so that was something that happened. And so who is Mary? She's all of these things. And I don't know if you 
think about that very often, but typically we don't think of Mary in that, in that context. And so I want us to read John chapter 2. And this is where Jesus, he's already out doing some ministry. But his mom, who's probably one of his greatest uh, supporters and fans, she's with him. And so they are at this wedding that they've been invited to. It's in Cana of Galilee. And in verse chapter 2, verse 1, are you there? It says, The next day they were at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And then he replies, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And standing by were six stone jars of water that they were used for Jewish ceremonial washing. So they've got these wash bins over here. And each one could hold about 30 gallons, 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew it came from Jesus, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then everyone has had a lot to drink. And when, when they've had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best wine until now. So let me just paraphrase it and recap it for a second. So they're, they're at this wedding, right? Jesus is there with the disciples and his mother is there. They're guests of the wedding who have no responsibilities. When you're a guest, you just show up and you eat, drink, and be merry, and you go home. You don't clean the mess up. You don't, you don't prepare it. You don't set the tables up. You don't have any resources invested in it. You're just a guest. You show up and enjoy. And so they're guests here. But Mary, being um, compassionate and a concerned uh, person, she, she looks at what's happening. She's like, they're running. They are running out of wine. And, you know, these weddings, they would last for days. And they would, you know, let, and you need a lot of wine. You need a lot of food and preparation for these things. And she knew that they were running out of wine, so she goes to Jesus and, he, and tells him this because she wants to save this family. And I don't want to get too far into this. I've done some studying on it. But in that culture, it would bring reproach on the family sometimes for generations. Now, I want you to bring this into like the natural, like, or, or sorry, not the natural, the Americanized version Imagine we go to a wedding and they've got, you know, this buffet and man, it's, I'm talking, they got prime rib, they got sirloin, they got scrimps, they got scallops, they got some stuff on the board right there. And it's getting skimpy, like they're running out. Now y'all know. And some of my roguish family, I can tell you what they'd be thinking. You better get on up there. They running out. They running out. And if they ran out and you didn't, 
man, that was just roguish. They didn't prepare. Somebody didn't prepare well for that. I wanted some of those shrimp. I wanted some of that prime rib. Or if the food was bad, uh-uh, that tasted like roadkill. I don't know who catered that. That's what it would be like in the American culture. Y'all remember, y'all, y'all remember Stephen, uh, you know, Tracy's wedding? Oh, Lord, I can't forget that because they had that nasty food, that old prime rib that had like gangrene on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all know what I'm saying. So that's Americanized version of what would happen there, but it was serious. And there would be reproach and there would be shame. Eastern people take honor way seriously than we do. In our culture, we've lost a culture of honor. We've just lost it. But when you go overseas to some of these other countries, you, you get a true understanding of what honor is. People die for their honor. You know, you see these samurai people and all these, you know, oriental folks, and it's like, man, just apologize. I cannot apologize. You know, I will die for my honor. You know, I'm like, they will die because it's an honor thing. And so Mary wanted to save them this. And so she goes to Jesus. She tells Jesus we're out of wine. And his response is not what you think a, a, a loving son that I was just talking about. He's like, that's not our problem. That's not our problem. And he says, my time has not come. You've heard people say, man, your time's coming. Your time's coming. It's just not yet. Well, the, what he was saying is my time for it to be revealed who I am is not now. So, you know, I just want to, here's my main thought for today. I want to leave with you. Jesus is still our miracle worker. Throughout the message, I want you to get this. Jesus is still our miracle worker. Because right now, you, you see, this was his ver- very first miracle. This set the stage. It didn't seem like that big of a deal, but like, I challenge you guys to turn water into wine. <laughs> you know, it's a big deal. And so... Jesus, still being our miracle worker, what does he do? He, he goes, he changes the water into wine. And there's this beautiful part when they take the, wa- the, the, the wine out. There's this beautiful part that the, um, the master of ceremonies, this is like the wedding planner. The master of the ceremony tastes the wine and they're like, oh my God, this, is, this, this should have gone out first. Because you know what they did? They would put the good wine out first so everybody kind of gets loose and mm, feeling good. And then you bring out the raunchy wine, that old stale stuff that ain't no good. Because they feeling so good, they think it's good, but it ain't good. But in this situation, what Jesus did, he superseded it. it. He infused some of that Holy Spirit stuff in, in, into this. It's, so it's, it's divine. And so the master of ceremonies, the wedding planner, is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Y'all done t- turn the table, switch the cards. Y'all were supposed to put this out. But you are brilliant. You save it to the very last. Can I tell you? God is saving the best for the last. Like, listen, I don't care what the beginning of your life looked like. I don't care 
even where you are right now, I mean, I care, but where you are right now, what your life looked like before this, I actually had a pretty good life. Well, good for you. It's going to get better. The latter will be greater than the first. There's a lot of us in this room that I'm telling you, if anybody asks me, if you had it all over to do, no. That's my answer, no. I don't want to be a kid again. I don't want to be a teenager again. I hated it. It was terrible. It was a terribly traumatic time for me. I don't want to live none of that over again. So, no. And thank God for those of us in the room that you didn't have those experiences like I have. Because there's some of y'all in there that you got, you had a great childhood. You had a great teenage uh, years. And, you know, but it's going to get better. Why? Because God is a God who, for whatever reason, saves the, the best for last. He even does it in the covenant that he makes with his people. We are now living under a better covenant than the former covenant. You remember? His blood speaks a better covenant. Like the covenant before was based upon works. And if you got it wrong, you would be zapped. God kill you. He would just flat out kill you. He was a God of wrath. And you had, his wrath had to be satisfied. And it's because his people would constantly go astray. But thank God he sent Jesus to satisfy his wrath once and for all. Once and for all. And I know I've said this to you before, but God is never mad at you. God is never mad at you. Some of y'all need to tell, tell yourself that. Because you live under this conviction that God is mad at me. God is mad at me. But when Jesus, when God looks at us, he has to look at us through the cross. He has to look at us through the covenant of Jesus. And Jesus stood there and took all of the wrath of God for all mankind, for all eternity. So when God of heaven looks at me, he has to look at me through grace. And his grace is satisfied. Do you understand? That is a better covenant. And you and I live under that better covenant. God, thank you that we were born in this time. And we weren't born in that day and age when we had to drag, uh, you know, bullocks and oxen and doves and all kinds of things, sheep to the altar and be slaughtered and have to prepare that mess. You know, think about this. Think about this. Those of you who are hunters, I'm not a hunter. I fell off the wagon or something different from all my other brothers. They're all hunters and, you know, they, they know how to dress a deer. I dressed a deer one time and I was like, ooh, that's not for me, dad. Like, uh-uh, I don't want to do this anymore. But think about that. Think about having to do that all the time and you're not an outdoorsman. <laughs> think about somebody that would have to do that continually and you are, are not equipped for that kind of thing, man. I'm telling you what, I, I would not Enjoy living in that time frame. Thank God that we live under a better covenant because God has saved the best for last. When times are dark 
and we live in dark times. When times are you know, chaotic and we live in chaotic times, when times are confusing and we live in confusing times, then we have to remind ourselves, we literally have to say that God, you are saving the best for last. I am waiting on the best. You have, to, you have to make declarations to yourself. You have to get up. And like David, there are times where you have to get up and encourage yourself. I get it. You know, the songs that we sung this morning may not have moved you. The preaching might not move you. There may be things, nothing moves you. Then shake yourself. Get up like Samson and shake yourself and say, I've got to get out of this rut. I have got to, like David, I gotta get up. I gotta go wash my face. I gotta comb, put some gel in my hair, put me on some clean, pressed clothes and get out in the world and encourage myself. If nobody else will encourage you, encourage yourself. Holy Spirit lives in you. And you will receive power, Acts. Remember? You'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Listen, all that other stuff is great and fine, but the Holy Ghost is not for the purpose of you speaking in tongues. The Holy, those are just uh, uh, fringe benefits. The Holy Ghost is not for you to fall out on the floor and feel good, and that does. The Holy Ghost is not for you to run around the room, even though Shay did last week. Uh, you know, all, all of that, all of that, the purpose of the Holy Spirit living in you is that you will receive power to be my witnesses. You know what a witness is? When everything is going wrong, for you to get up, put your clothes on, comb your hair and be filled, shake yourself and go out and be the world that reflects Jesus and his glory. Because the world wants to see Jesus in you. If I, could just, if I could just tell you for a minute, and I ain't talking to one or two or three of you, I'm talking to all of us and myself. The world is not interested seeing your mealy mouth version of Christianity. You need me to say it again? The world is not interested in seeing your mealy mouth, pathetic, weak version of Christianity. We are the ones that fight giants. We are the ones that slay lions. We are the ones that the adversary comes against us. We are strength. His power resides in us. I, I can tell you there have been times where I have crawled through the door. But guess what? I crawled. I'm here. I'm here. There have been times, Delaney, there, there have been times where uh, the Lord has, uh, not the Lord, the enemy has told me, just, just go ahead and take your life. Because nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about you. Those people you get up and preach to and talk to every week, they don't care about you. And you know, the, these thoughts that the enemy's coming against me. And, I, and, and as much as I wanted to believe those things, I have to go, the devil is a liar. Not only is he the liar, but he is the father. He is the chief liar of all. And so I have to remind myself of that. What am I doing? I'm pulling myself up out of the mire, the, cru the cr a crappy junk that the enemy has pulled me down in and he's trying to plaster me, bury me in all of that stuff because the God, God is working on our behalf when I've done everything that I can do 
and it doesn't seem to be working, he's working. And we need to tell ourselves that. I believe that's a prophetic word over this house because you've been doing things that you feel like, man, God, what else do I have to do? What else do I have to do? And sometimes the answer is nothing. Just stop. Just stop and let God do it. Sometimes you just need to be weak and say, God, I can't do anything else because in our weakness, the scripture says, he is made strong. So let me just share this with you. Mary's first statement, there's no more wine. This is her first statement, but there's really an implied question behind it. She comes to Jesus and says, there's no more wine. The, the, the question is, what are you going to do about it? She doesn't ask him that, but that's what she's implying to him. And Jesus, you know, uh, he, he, he has a response to that. But I want you to think about this. Like, there's a party. I don't, I don't, this, this might be a little tangent, but I take tangents all the time in my messages. So I got to thinking about this. Man, this is a celebration. This is a celebration that's going on. And she says, there's no more wine. Wine, and I'll get to this a little bit later, but wine, in, in Scripture, there, wine represents life. New wine represents Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this. So it's a celebration going on. But she's like, they're running out of wine. They're running out of life. They're running out of, think about this now. You got to think about this deeper. They're running out of life, sustenance, the, 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 the stuff that makes this important. I'm telling you what, there are people that we could say this about their, their life spiritually all the time. There's no more wine in your life. Oh, you're at the wedding. Oh, you at church. Oh, you at small group. Oh, you at prayer meeting. Oh, you at all these things that we should be celebrating, but there's no wine. There's no zest of life. You're going through the motions. You're going through the motions. Am I saying that's a bad thing? I'm not. But you can't stay there. You cannot stay. There are times in my life where I've been under so much uh, uh, oppression and depression and anxiety and very few people in my life knew about that and I would drag myself to church. I would force myself to get up out of bed and I felt like I was going through the motions and I'm like, oh my God, do we have to do this today? Do I have to do this today? Do I have to meet with this person or these people? Do I have to go lead this today? Do I have to go go pray with the pastors that I get together with uh, on a regular basis. Do I have to do this? I, I was going through the motions, but you can't live in going through the motions forever. There was no wine and I needed some new wine. I needed some new wine to be poured out over my life. And there have been times where I've been in those seats and there have been times when I've been here where I feel like I'm just going through those motions and I'm like, God, you've got to breathe some newness on me. You've got to bring some new wine. And so when she says there's no more wine, she is basically fixing to say, this party is fixing to go downhill fast. When there is no wine in your life, and I'm not talking about Holy Spirit yet, 
I'm just talking about life. This morning, uh, Cheryl uh, Lofton, she comes in and she says, Pastor Rife, I was so glad to come to church today. Now, I don't know why she was so glad. I don't know. Is this y'all's first Sunday serving on your team? Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's why you were so uh, excited. I don't know. We didn't talk it through. But what she really was saying to me was, Pastor Rife, I couldn't wait to get here because there was life. I have life when I'm here. There's a, there's a, my life, it just feels full when I'm here and when I'm serving and when I'm doing, when I'm giving back to God. But when there is no wine, when there's no life, and you begin to just get to the place where you're going through the motions, can I tell you, that will last for a season. But if you don't get some new wine and you don't get some quick, it's going to take a nosedive and great will be the fall. Great will be the fall. I have seen people that they have served and 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 gave and served and served and served and gave and gave and gave and served and served and served and served and served. And then they served till there was no more life in it. And then they fell. And that crash was so great. And some of those greatest servants do not darken the door of churches today. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be here. It could be any other church in the county. But they don't do it at all because they fell. And there's no life there. You got to watch out spiritually for yourself. Look at this. What was Jesus' response? He said, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not come. Jesus wasn't saying it through an Americanized. Because if we call a woman a woman, it's derogatory. You know, like woman. You need to back up. I said that one time to a lady in this house that she, and I said, I said, uh, I think I called her lady. But she, she stood up and was challenging me in the middle of the service. And she said I was preaching a false doctrine and false God. And I said, lady, you need to sit down. And I, when I called her lady, I did not mean for that in a respectful way. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. But, you know, when we say that in our culture, it's, it's, it's a sign of seriousness. But if in European and Eastern culture, it's totally different. Like Lady Mary or Lady, you know, Florence. Like they're titles of respect. And so when Jesus speaks to her, he is not speaking to her in a woman. You better get on up out of here. It ain't none of my business what's going on. It's not my time. He's not saying it in that Americanized version. He's saying to her. Dear woman, title of respect. Notice he doesn't say to her, her now mama. He's, he's not calling her. And this is important. Because a shift in their relationship had occurred. Jesus is now no longer just Mary's son. Jesus is now Mary's Lord. Are you following me? So there's a whole new context in their relationship. But she's still his mama. And she sa he says to her, dear woman, in other words, you understand, mom, that we don't have the same relationship that we once had. It's still there, but, we, but now it's taken on a new form. I am now your Lord. He says, 
it's not our problem, which was true, and it, that my time to be revealed as the Savior of the world, the Messiah, has not come. Well, I, I, I think if I read it a little bit in our American context, Mary does what any American woman does, and she says her little piece, and then she looks at the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. And she walks away and she gives Jesus that look like. Because <laughs> you know the outcome. But what Jesus was saying to her, he said, listen, it's not our business. My time has not come. And he says, he, he, he said it back in the temple. I must be about my father's business. So there was a shift in his, in his loyalty now. The scripture says, I only do what my father says to do. The scripture says, I only say what my father says to say. So I take my orders now from my heavenly patriarch, my father. I take my orders from my father. Well, it doesn't say it in scripture, but he must have got in touch with his daddy somewhere between just do what he says. Somewhere in those lines, he must have gone off and prayed. And I can just imagine him saying, mom has come. She's told me to do this. And he's like, what do you want me to do? And he said, what did your mama tell you to do? <laughs> I imagine that's sort of how that went. Like, what, what did she tell you to do? And sure enough, she was the catalyst of Jesus' first miracle. If it had been up to Jesus and not God the Father or his earthly mother, we would not be reading about the wedding of, uh, of, of Cana and we would not be reading about his first. This would not have been his first miracle because he was not going to do it. But what did he do? He respectfully was obedient to his mom and he, 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 he did pass it by his father. We, 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 we got to believe that because he said, I only do what he tells me to do, only do what he says me, tells me to say, and I only do what he tells me to do. And then Mary's second statement was to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And I just want to ask you this morning, like, are you willing, am I willing to do whatever he says to do? Like, the miracle, it came because there was partnership. Jesus didn't go get the, the uh, big old vases. Jesus didn't pour the water into the vases. Jesus didn't do everything. What Jesus did is he partnered with them. That's how miracles work. He partners with them. And if I could just be so bold to say, some of y'all's miracles have not come. Resolution has not come because you are operating and reading the scriptures. Jesus, going to get me in trouble. You are reading it through an entitled American version. You are. I've done it myself. God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to come bless me. Why? Our government has done a lot to influence this. Like, I'm just telling you, God ain't into welfare. He's not. Every person that he blessed, he expected them to turn around and be a blessing. 
I ain't against welfare. I believe that works. I ain't got time to go into it, but you know, Shay and I, we were recipients of welfare. We got a welfare, uh, 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 food stamps is what I'm talking about. When we were in college, we needed that. We did it for a season to get us through college, but we ain't lifetime uh, food stamp recipients. Why? Because that's not the plan for our life. The thing is, is that I partnered with our government to get me to a better place. We need to partner with Holy Spirit. He wants to do something in us, but we've been sitting back waiting for God to just do it and we don't do anything. That is not how God works. If you give, he'll give. If you draw close to him, he draws close to you. If you pray, then he will do these things. There's always a partnership in God's bringing about miracles and in God bringing about blessing. So listen to me. If you are sitting in this room today saying, I just want the Lord to do this. God is not going to just do this if you don't do your part. God will do it, but you've got to do your part. I don't know what your part is. I don't know what your particular situation is, but you have got to believe that God is speaking to you in this message this day, that he wants to do a miracle in your life. And he is still our miracle working God, but he is going to do it through partnership. And when he does it, it's going to bring a betterness in your world. There's going to be a betterment, a betterness, whatever. I'm making up words, but you get my point. There is going to be, it's going to be better. Your life is going to be better. And I'm not just preaching some stupid prosperity gospel. I'm telling you this, there is a method to this, that when you trust God, when you partner with God, when you step out in faith, when you do your part, God is going to honor it and it's going to be better. It is going to be better. You think of whatever your situation is. And when the enemy whispers in your ear, it's not going to get better. It's not going to work out. It's not going to happen. You have to practice what you know to do. It may be a little bit different in every situation, but the scripture tells us that we are to take captive every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is he wants to bless it, make it better. The enemy over here, kill, steal, and destroy, it ain't going to get better. It's not going tear it down. Take that thought and tear it down. Uh, declare the opposite. My children, they ain't going to ever act straight. Start declaring what you want your children to be. Oh, my goodness, my children, they're keeping me up all hours of the night. I'm having to go bail them out of jail. And, you know, I'm just going to write them off. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. That, that, the enemy wants you to do that. You begin to declare over them like you declare over your son, your grandson. You're a mighty man of God. 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 I'm telling you what, you do that enough. He might already do this, but you do that uh, uh, long enough. There's going to be situations that he's going to hear that voice, the voice of his mom, uh, grandmother speaking. I'm a mighty man of God. I'm a mighty man of God. 
I didn't even know that. I don't even know fully what it is. And now I'm, you know, that that will happen because of the power of words, the power of declaration. And you and I have to take authority over these thoughts, over these things that try to, to subvert the word of God. Because I'm telling you what, the voice of the enemy is a very loud voice. And he will put his voice above this and he'll push it down and he'll push it down until it's so, so low that you don't even remember it. And you got to get this stuff out and you got to get you some of those nuggets. And I know that there are people in this room that you are, you and I are at all different uh, levels in our relationship in him. And, and listen, some of us might be able to pull lots out of there and we can because we've been Christians for 30 years, but you haven't, you've only been a Christian for just a few years, maybe even a few months. And, but you get you some of those, uh, some of those stakes. A lot of people will call them dessert scriptures, and I get that. But dessert scriptures, you know what a dessert scripture is. Those little ones we like to quote all the time. But sometimes your dessert scripture is somebody else's stake in the ground scripture. Because they remember those, and they, and they need those stakes. And they just stake them in the ground to keep them uh, founded and level and secure. And so Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. And they did, and the outcome was better. The outcome was God did something better. Let me just share these with you, and we're going to close. New wine. I already told you, wine represents life, but new wine represents Holy Spirit. When there is a new wine, when we talk about new wine in Scripture, anywhere it talks about new wine, it's talking about the Spirit of God being unleashed and poured out. So, Holy Spirit. And in this thing, wine comes from a crushing. See, we've lost this thing of like, you know what? There is a trial right now. There is a crushing if you've ever seen great uh, 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 wine made, Shay and I just were in France and we literally were on a working farm where this little 83-year-old guy made his own wine. And he, they made it and it, it literally had this big wheel that you pressed the wine and they would put the grapes in there and they would, uh, they would press this thing down and it would pour out and there was this little spout that would come out and it would, all of the juice would run out. And there's a crushing in new wine. And there are times in our life that you're going through a crushing, you're going through a pressing, you're going through times where like, man, right now, I am not being... I don't think I'm being as crushed as I have been in the last five years, but I'm telling you what, I have been through a crushing in the natural, in the supernatural, and I'm like, God, I'm tired of the crushing. I got to taste some of that new wine. I've got to taste some of that new wine. God, pour out the new wine into my life. And I'm just telling you, if you've been in a time of crushing, and some of you could be in times of crushing that could have been weeks, months, and some of you years or decades. You could have been in seasons of crushing. I'm telling you, hold on, hold on, hold on. There is a new wine coming. There is a new wine coming. Look at this. There's a celebration. With new wine, when you think of celebration, there's always wine. You know, I, I, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, well, we don't drink uh, kind of thing. I'm not, I don't want to get into all of that. 
Y'all have to take that up with Jesus when it, you know, because he used a lot of wine imagery. But when we went over to France, we're meeting our new little neighbor. And what's the first thing he breaks out? He's like, oh, cool, bonjour, bonjour. And he's walking over to his little table and he's, he's humped over like this. And he's like, and he, what does he do? He goes and gets a bottle of wine and sets it on the table. Oh, he gets the little glasses and puts it around. I think they're about, what, six or seven, eight of us. I don't know. But puts them all around the table, all around the table. And he's pouring wine for everybody. Pastor, did you drink some wine? Of course I did. Pastor, do you, do you drink, Pastor? Of course I don't. I've told you that. I don't, but I did then. Because it was a celebration. It was a celebration. When Holy Spirit comes, there should be celebration. And sometimes you have to, you have to start the celebration. You have to start the Holy Ghost party. What's that thing? Something about the Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't stop. I know Tia knows it. <laughs> Sometimes you got to start the party. I don't, I don't feel like celebrating. Well, you got to, again, you got to just jump in and celebrate. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And when we begin to celebrate and begin the celebration... I'm telling you what, God will fill the room up and new wine begins to pour out. And this is the last thing. Look for new ways of doing things. I believe the Lord is speaking some of this to me for our church in general. I'm not ready to share some of those things yet. But new wine, it represents a new way of doing things. Jesus, when he did this miracle, he did it fast. He surpassed all the wine-making laws. There was no crushing. Ooh, I, I, I want that kind. Because I had the crushing kind, but there was no crushing. There was no crushing for this wine. There was no labor in this wine. There was just enjoyment. And it was better. And so God is going to be doing some new ways of things. Look for new ways of things of God doing some stuff in your life where how you used to have to work for it so hard or you used to have to go through this crushing, you're not going to have to do that anymore. And there's a newness, there's a newness that's coming, but the people of God have got to partner with him in it. All right? And this is how I want you to take this out of here. Say this with me. Jesus is still our miracle worker if there's some stuff in your life, guys, I'm telling you, God, he can make a, a way. Let's don't let these things just be songs that we sung. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Because that's really who he is. And this is how I want you to apply this word. Be willing to do what Jesus asked you to do. If you ask Holy Spirit... He will speak to you. Don't worry about like, well, I don't know how to hear Holy Spirit. You just hear him. You just keep asking. You just keep waiting. Well, I did all that, Pastor. I still can't get there. Come see me and we'll talk. God is not a God up in heaven that goes, can you ask one more time? Can you ask differently? I don't like that one word you used. I just want to see you squirm a little bit. That is not the God we serve. 
when you ask, when you seek, knock and it'll be opened. Seek, you'll find. Ask and it will be given to you. That's the kind of God we, that we serve. So be willing to do what Holy Spirit, what Jesus asks you to do. If he asks you to do something, then do it. And then this is the last thing. Expect it to be outside of the norm. Expect it to be outside of the norm. Well, you know, normally when people get this, this is what they do. Well, maybe, but expect God to do some things outside the norm.